Hey everyone, welcome to Grub Stakers, the podcast about billionaires. This week we are covering William Henry Gates III, otherwise known as Bill Gates, otherwise known as Trey. Because of this, we've chosen to create a three-part series on the most philanthropic billionaire whose catchphrase is, that's the stupidest fucking thing I've heard. Find out how Bill Gates embraced, extended, and extinguished his competitors, enemies, and friends to become the richest person on the planet. All that and more, this week on Grub Stakers. First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him begin to start the dynasty. I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway. Y'all good? Hello, welcome back to Grub. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm here. I'm joined by my friends Yogi Polywall, Andy Palmer, Steve Jeffries. And uh, this week on Grubstakers, we're finally doing it. We're talking about the big man himself, the uh, greatest philanthropist in human history, <laughs> the man who who made you know what that sound is. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Bill Gates this week. That's and right. William Gates. The reason I'm in this country, the reason this podcast exists. <laughs> let's, let's start. The, the reason we didn't have to go down and settle for blue microphones. <laughs> those kind of choppy sound quality. We could get the real shit uh, because of uh, Yogi's dad's essential work on Microsoft Excel, uh, which we'll get to. And, you know, like, well, Bill Gates, first of all, uh, Forbes net worth as of May 2019, $100.8 billion. Wow. And that's why he's the greatest philanthropist in human history, <laughs> because this man has been trying to give his money away. Did you for say one hundred point eight million? Billion. Billion. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> A recursive function there. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. So this man has been trying to give his way his money away for twenty five years now, and he has been so successful at it that he gets richer every single year. <laughs> um, but Bill Gates, you know it. Uh, He's so successful at it that when we started this, he was the second richest man <laughs> in the world. <laughs> and now he's the richest. Um, but yeah, like, so I guess the story of Bill Gates, to, to my mind, it's uh, a lot of luck is, I guess, where we would begin it. And, and you know, I think it's it, there's so much in it in the story of Bill Gates and Microsoft. We're going to break this up at least two parts, possibly three parts. We'll, we'll kind of go through it chronologically and just see how long it takes us to go through it. So you'll follow uh, with us. But but I guess um, just to kind of say a couple things up top is, first of all, you know, we're all uh, aware of uh, Windows software and uh, how... Um, Perhaps they just decided the Sherman Antitrust Act doesn't really apply anymore, and uh, that is why every single computer has Windows, and uh, they did some kind of skullduggery to make sure that uh, other applications do not run as well on Windows as their proprietary ones, such as Internet Explorer, you know, Microsoft Office Suite, and all this stuff, and, and we'll get into all that. All great products, mind yes. you. I think uh, some <laughs> of the best in computing, and... Uh, one thing I want to let the listeners know, Sean, is mm. that uh, as a Microsoft insider, a legacy child, mm -hmm. I have some Bill Gates dirt that's a bombshell mm -hmm. that you will only hear on this podcast if you listen all the way through. So mm. be, be warned. Some incriminating information about Bill Gates will be coming very soon. Yes, and Andy will share the text messages Bill sent him on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and, and so the other thing is, like, Bill Gates and... If you're a vendor for Microsoft, he sexually harasses you. That's one of the <laughs> uh, Bill Gates, again, the other thing that, that should be noted, and uh, I do uh, want to cite citations needed the podcast. They did a, a great two-parter on um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation because... Uh, and essentially, we were talking initially about doing an episode on the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I don't think we should because they already did. I think you should listen to theirs, but then every three minutes just play an annoying sound effect that doesn't make any sense. And then if you do that, then you will experience what our episode about the Bill and Melinda Gates well, Foundation well, would have been. Well, to be fair, Sean, if they're using a Windows computer, it's making the noises on its own. Right. So, uh... But can I do this? <laughs> 
pitch-shifting window sounds. Grubstein. All went down to Montauk, <laughs> down the Lake Geneva shoreline. <laughs> With this Frank Zappa and the mothers. We, we didn't have much time. This episode just got pulled for copyright. <laughs> oh, but essentially my point about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation... Like, it's not a copyright thing. It's just too fucking stupid. <laughs> That's why we got sued yeah. for dumbing down humanity. Yeah. Uh, my point about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was... An insult was, to Deep Purple. <laughs> ...was essentially that every profile you see of Bill Gates in the media is this guy is the greatest philanthropist of all time. He's, you know, saving Africa. He's uh, saving all of us, you know, stopping global warming, whatever else, because he does have a giant private philanthropy. And then, of course, this one eludes the idea maybe he doesn't deserve all that money in the first place. Maybe it would be better in the public's hands. But but second, it, like, what what gets missed... But what about uh, all the things he created? <laughs> <laughs> on his way to becoming the wealthiest person in the world. Yes. His uh, creation of that $50,000 he used to buy DOS OS. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but my point was essentially a reason, and the Citation Needed episode makes this point very well, a reason that the coverage is so uniformly good is that uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation will fund newspapers like The Guardian, like uh, uh, Microsoft went in a big uh, multi-billion dollar infrastructure cable uh, spending thing with Comcast, which of course owns NBC, MSNBC, uh, and they'll fund all sorts of media verticals, all sorts of think tanks, research, et cetera, et cetera. So the point is like part of the reason why every single story you see about Bill Gates is this man is such a selfless philanthropist giving away his 100 billion that he still has for some reason. <laughs> is because he's funding a lot of media properties that have an interest in uh, being nice to him because, you know, it, whatever X million dollars he gives them is a significant part of their revenue in this current time we are in where media outlets are under attack and uh, have very precarious funding sources. So I guess that's kind of just kind of what I wanted to say up top. Anything Sorry, else? could you repeat that? I just, uh, I, I, that was... I couldn't hear it over the clamor of another 500 people being laid off from Huff. <laughs> That's what the uh, police sirens outside were all about right mm. there. And by 500, I mean the six remaining people working at Huffington Post. <laughs> we were mentioning, uh, we're recording in uh, Brooklyn, New York. It's a very rainy, drizzly day, and uh, we think Bill Gates was using the weather machines because he knew we were doing this episode. <laughs> trying to, trying to so, keep us from joining up. That's where that five billion on cloud seeding technology came into. <laughs> he it's perfected like, it in the Pacific Northwest, where we all grew up. It's like the uh, Mr. Burns send in the hounds, but he just goes send in the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> One other weird thing they talk about uh, with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is essentially they have like genetically engineered mosquitoes mm -hmm. going around, right. which like I mean you know maybe seems like a good idea, but it's also kind of weird where it's like. Africa is essentially their laboratory for genetically engineered mosquito experiments. Yes. Yeah. You know. I, I mean, like, we can talk about everything that they've done that is a, you know, potentially good for society, but it is riddled in we're doing experiments in third world countries that are for good, but maybe 50 years from now you'll find out aren't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're a big partner of Monsanto and uh, major agribusiness. And, and Of course, now if you try to genetically engineer your own mosquitoes, you are liable for a lawsuit <laughs> from Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they got the uh, genetically engineered mosquitoes idea uh, from some... Um, Xerox folk? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. From some open... It, it, it was originally an open source <laughs> right, genome. Right, right, uh, But they, they patented it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and I guess, so we'll kind of start chronologically with Bill Gates and maybe we'll circle back to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation a bit towards the end, you know, like, but we're going to start with how he made his money and then we'll kind of get into a little bit of what he's actually doing with it. Um, but you know, Andy was mentioning their, uh, their disputes with, uh, Linux and, uh, I, I think researching this episode has taught me that I am the kind of communist that wants people with guns to come to your house and force you to install Linux. <laughs> <laughs> Just kick in your door. Yeah, there should be, like, a IT infrastructure checka that come to your house. And, they're like, they're spying on people who are still using Windows. That's a big part of the show. It's like, oh, they, they shot my dog, but, but this Ubuntu kernel runs like a dream. <laughs> I never realized I could... Boot up my PC so quickly. and As soon as they leave, you're like, what the fuck? I can't even play Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, and, and this is like what we'll we'll kind of go through is Microsoft's entire strategy for keeping Windows uh, the dominant platform has been they have at every point viewed um, multi-platform programming languages or softwares as an existential threat. Right. So we'll kind of talk about later what they did with like Java. But the idea is like if a program works on every operating system, if it works on Linux, Apple, Windows, well, Windows might be kind of shittier than the others. So more people might switch to the others. So... Microsoft can maintain their dominance. Um, they, they even have a, a, a name for this, which is like Embrace, Extend, Extinguish, right. where they'll uh, kind of take a product that works on multiple platforms, then they'll add some proprietary shit onto it. So now there's like a proprietary thing that only works on Windows, and suddenly, you know, this thing that's supposed to work on all these different platforms no longer it has a separate component for windows right. essentially so you know we'll go through kind of how they did that stuff and how they you know fought linux and and all these these different things and when but you look at that it's pronounced linux <laughs> and when you look at <laughs> oh really linux oh uh when you look at their strategy it is have you have you seen the 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 webcomic userfriendly.com <laughs> I have it taped onto my screen, so it's always on on my screen. Oh, why don't you just have it as a background? Well, Linux doesn't allow me to do that. No, I want it on the front. I printed it out and taped it. (laughs) This will be an episode where we actually can pronounce everything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you look at the uh, embrace, extend, extinguish strategy, it really boils down to, like, how tyrants look at the world. It's Mm -hmm. literally infiltrate... Observe, adopt, and then destroy. It um, and when we look at Bill Gates's tactics from the early years of Microsoft to today, it is essentially we're going to change the world and destroy everything. And I need every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears to be put into this company, and n- no substitutions. There was the yeah. thing that a lot of people said early on, which is that like Bill Gates didn't want to be the richest person in the world; he wanted to run the world. Hmm. So I guess owned. <laughs> I do like suck how- it. Bill Gates got the idea for um, Embrace, Extend, Extinguish uh, from the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we'll, we'll just kind of start uh, chronologically and get to, you know, how things uh, actually came to be where, you know, almost every PC runs Windows and, you know, Bill Gates is worth uh, $100.8 billion. And um, it's an interesting thing where, you know, everybody on this podcast is uh, grew up in or near Seattle, you know. So... Um, I guess I was going to say Bill Gates grew up in Laurelhurst, and I guess if you're familiar with Seattle, you immediately think, oh, fuck that guy. <laughs> right. Wait, is that north of Seattle? Yeah. Okay, I don't give a shit. No. The thing about Bill Gates' story is that he's so rich that his upper middle class upbringing seems like rags to riches. Mm-hmm. Like the jump he made from a kid who could afford to go to Harvard <laughs> to the richest person in the world is such a distance that when you look at his upbringing, it's like, man... He didn't have millions upon millions, <laughs> actually billions of dollars at this point in his life. What a poor, poor Bill Gates. So are we going to start at the beginning? Well, I would start at the, the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's the other sound effect that goes with that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, but so I, when I say start at the beginning is essentially Bill Gates on his mom's side. And I do want to say I read, uh, I read a lot of the book, uh, hard drive, but discovering the effects that come with this keyboard. It's great. The, uh, the book hard, one's a phaser. The book Hard Drive by James Wallace and Jim Erickson, and also the sequel Overdrive by James Wallace is uh, my primary source for this episode. But uh, from this book Hard Drive, they talk about uh, Bill Gates's great-grandfather on his mother's side was a banker known as J.W. Maxwell. He was, for a time, the mayor of South Bend in Washington. He, was, he founded National City Bank in Seattle. And he was such a successful banker that he left Bill Gates with a $1 million trust fund. Oh, wow. When Bill Gates was born well, in 1955. According to uh, my book, uh, Gates, How Microsoft's Mogul Reinvented an Industry and Made Himself the Richest Man in America, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, trust fund thing was not true. What? I told you that on the, on the Slack. He's denying the trust fund? Uh, well, no, this other book denies the trust fund. Mm-hmm. I don't know what... He, I mean, he... It sounded like they interviewed him in this book, or at least there are segments where here's there are the reality. That look there like. are conflicting thoughts on Bill Gates's trust fund. Regardless, he had access to people who had up to a million dollars to leave him at birth. Yeah. So regarding the trust fund, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the trust fund is true, and you know what? 
Here's why I think it's true. Uh, Bill Gates would have sued them into oblivion for writing hard drive <laughs> if it wasn't true. That's a fair point. So, uh, and then on his dad's side, uh, there was his great-grandfather, um, William Henry Gates, and then there was his grandfather, uh, William Henry Gates, and then his father, <laughs> William Henry Gates, and then uh, Bill, uh, Bill Gates Jr., I think. All prominent Republican lawyers. One of the great things is his, uh, I believe his great-grandfather was a literal grub staker. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> he he moved up to Alaska during the gold rush and, like, grub staked uh, for miners, which basically means, you know, you invest in mines, and then if they find anything, you take most of the profits. And at the same time, he also did the thing that's like the real gold rush whenever there's a gold rush, which is uh, selling overpriced pickaxes and shit. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Um, and I think he might have been a landlord too, but that was kind of, that's kind of the beginning of the uh, Gates family. And that's this is essentially a through line to almost all of the billionaires we've covered. It's reaching an industry first and then figuring out the markets and then overcharging for what you're providing and becoming essentially a monopoly very quickly. I do like yes. that the modern equivalent of selling overpriced pickaxes during a gold rush is uh, taking the podcast rush and then selling overpriced merch, <laughs> <laughs> which will be coming soon to the Grubstaker's store. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, and, and you know, regardless of whether or not the billion, the million dollar trust fund is true, I, I, I believe it, but I, you know, regardless, his family... You know that feeling when... Uh, you're in Alaska and yeah. you think you've hit a gold vein. Right, right. Um, but it comes up empty. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that that was the last sound that Into the Wild guy heard. <laughs> 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 That's when you pass on, you see the blue screen of death. <laughs> Uh, so, Rick- but seriously, folks, he's in hell. <laughs> Don't challenge God. <laughs> it won't end well. Uh, so, but regardless of like how much you know Bill Gates had for trust fund or whatever, his family was like super plugged into like Washington State high society and politics. Like, just as an example, Bill's mother and father met through a uh, Bill's friend and future Washington State Senator Brock Adams. Uh, the Washington State governor in the 1970s, Dan Evans, was a family friend who helped them paint their picket ball court. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, you know, and uh, his dad, Bill Gates' dad, was a significant lawyer and a significant figure in local Republican politics. He was right. apparently almost appointed to be a federal judge, but the uh, Democratic senators in um, Washington State at the time, which included, like, Scoop Jackson, uh, they blocked his appointment because he was such a hardcore Republican. Oh, really? You know? Wow. So they didn't want him on the hmm. federal judiciary. So then he swore that he would go to the <laughs> liberal bastion of um, the University of Washington and in 2006 give the worst commencement address <laughs> Why do you know for this, my graduating class. <laughs> <laughs> Just the most boring, navel-gazy bullshit about how you need to give back to your community. Like, anyone even knows who you are because you like squirted out the richest man in the world <laughs> believe in yourself i'm just imagining andy in the audience for that commencement speech uh being like i wasted three tabs on this <laughs> just bored out of his mind <laughs> while shapes dance across his eyes <laughs> all these shapes are old and rich <laughs> But yeah, there so, was. I'll, I'll put it this way: Part, mm-hmm. there was a speech before that from the student body president where he forgot what he was saying halfway through. What? And was like, "Oh, uh, I'm sorry." And he like lost his place, and a bunch of people booed. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> that still wasn't the worst speech of my graduation. Uh, you know what's so frustrating about all that? I got rejected from that school, and they're hiring idiots that can't even finish a fucking speech. It, I think the part of it is like. It's just like some frat guy where his whole frat voted for sure, him and he course. got to do the speech for the whole school. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just trying to imagine booing a commencement speech. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love heckling a commencement speech. It's so great. Free bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I think like the, the point is that uh, Bill Gates' family was, you know, pretty fucking rich to begin with and well-to-do and connected, which which will be essential to the story because, as we'll get to, his mother sits on a United Way charity board with the IBM chairman, which will 
We'll get to it in a minute, but it's pretty... <laughs> that is the summary of the story of how Bill Gates got $100 billion yeah. <laughs> right there. Um, but uh, so Bill Gates is, you know, he grows up, he's, uh, he's, he's in the Boy Scouts... You know, I guess they wanted to, like, socialize him because he's kind of like a nerdy, introverted kid. So they put him in the Boy Scouts. Um, and it turns out he's insufferable <laughs> <laughs> and uh, gets in trouble a lot and everyone doesn't like him. Uh, so they decide, you know what, we're going to um, straighten you out. And with very heavy hearts, uh, they send him to one of Seattle's most expensive and exclusive boarding <laughs> schools. Uh for middle and high school. Yes. Uh, instead of going to uh, Sean and Steven's alma mater where he would have gone <laughs> otherwise. Roosevelt High School. Yes. Also, so he attends Lakeside Private Prep. And this is also relevant because, uh, of course, he's born in 1955. Um, now, I read... Okay. Uh, I, I just realized we could probably just skip to the end here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read this, um, this uh, science book. Yeah. Uh, it's called Outliers, mm-hmm. and it actually overview- went over this story, and it said that as a kid, uh, Bill Gates was near some computers at the University of Washington, and he uh, typically typed on them for 10,000 hours, and that's how he became a super code genius <laughs> and became uh, the richest man in the world because he's the best coder ever because he did 10,000 hours wow. on computers. And so yeah, he just um, went Sonny Balwani, <laughs> 10 million lines of code. Yeah. Yeah. He so, snorted them. So, uh, that's the podcast. Uh, I'm Andy Palmer. <laughs> 10,000 hours was also how long it takes you to install windows 95. <laughs> um, but but I guess and so Andy does mention this this computer time because this is relevant here right. because you know he's a kid born in the 50s, growing up in the 60s. Uh Computer time was not universal during that time period. So Bill Gates attends the private prep school, Lakeside Private Prep. And while he's there, him and uh, he meets Paul Allen there, but they get infinite teletype computer time. And what, and what a teletype is, is basically at the time, you, you uh, even at like a private school, they couldn't afford to have a whole computer in there. So what they would have are these teletype machines where it's uh, basically uh, a kind of typewriter that also connects to your phone um which then goes through the phone line like the old internet modems Mm -hmm. into a mainframe um to communicate the messages you're sending there and then the mainframe at some distant place where they have computers uh will then do all of the computing and send stuff back and the the result of that is that computer time is fairly expensive like you especially for the time it was you know um, it, it was on the scale of like, you know, a couple dollars a minute or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so being able to just access a computer, even through a teletype was, was quite an expensive ordeal. Yeah. And they like racked up a whole bunch of bills. Right. This isn't yeah. for people our age. This isn't like a computer lab no. where you played, you know, Oregon trail. Right. It's essentially a room that has, I mean, almost computer parts in, if we look at it from today's perspective, and um, they were able to, I mean, here's the thing. It, it was basically like a keyboard hooked up to a yes, phone. Yeah, these are rich kids little, that are like, playing with the technology of tomorrow that people around them, they let, let alone using it, can comprehend the future of what, the, what they're touching, essentially. Yeah, I guess a good analogy might be like, you know, taking flight lessons in a jet or something yeah, yeah no, precisely. it'd be like uh, orville wright and uh wilbur looking at what a spaceship does well no i mean i mean in terms of like cost like it it's sort of like you know you you're a teenager and you're like well i want to learn to fly and your parents are like all right we'll rent you a jet or your or your school has a jet rental program um some of the parents pooled their money to get a jet and uh, now you can learn to fly in that. And that's how they became the Bill Gates of doing 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, you know what I did with uh, with my public school computer lab was uh, we had this class. 4chan. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had this class where we Just didn't really have... child porn on all the computers. Oh <laughs> we didn't have to do much, so we got Civilization 2 on all the network Ooh. computers in the lab. And then one uh, class a day, we would just play Civ 2 for an hour. And that's how I got 10,000 hours with Civilization and became the sixth best person I know at playing Civilization. 
Um, well, it's good that that didn't start an unhealthy obsession into adulthood. <laughs> yeah. Western civilization, too. <laughs> Essentially, we mentioned Paul Allen a moment ago, and they met at Lakeside, and Paul Allen is uh, about three or four years older than Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. And so Paul Allen... Not was, anymore. Yeah. Well, wow. <laughs> um, but but Paul Allen essentially was looking at the computer uh, pieces that were being produced and bringing up to Bill like the concepts of the future. And Bill kept having the business side of the uh, uh, in mind, I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to put it. Um, so Paul Allen would be like, hey, this ship's coming out and these pieces are coming out. We could make, make something with this. And Bill would be like, no, no, not yet. And then Paul Allen basically describes that his mom was like a librarian lady and his dad uh, was... Um, Oh fuck! I got name. I can't remember. Well, it was uh, enough to pay for the whatever. One of his parents made enough money for him to also go to this private yes, school, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Bill Gates' parents are like essentially both lawyers. So mm-hmm. when it comes to what Microsoft became, Paul Allen certainly put forth the concepts of what tomorrow could be, and Bill Gates was like, "Well, let's murder everyone to get that dream." It is interesting. I mean, it's kind of like the Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak story, where Steve Similar, Wozniak's yeah. the programmer, and Steve Jobs is the guy like here's how we destroy the fabric of society with this. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but they're essentially... Mm, are you, though? <laughs> There's the douchebag and the slightly less douchebag. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so they learned how to um, code in BASIC, which was developed at Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very, uh, let's say, simple language um, that it was it, it wasn't as complex as something like... There weren't that many programming languages at the time, um, but basic was the one that was kind of meant for education. Um, it wasn't as involved in something like Fortran. And so they learned to, no, I'm involved no. in Fortran. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they learned to code it in, in basic, but then Fortran, it's the language exclusively used for making bomb threats against schools. <laughs> You can you can write a program to make bomb threats <laughs> to NFL stadiums. <laughs> Wait, I did want to I did want to stop you real quick though. One other thing on this computer programming time, uh, because like first of all, as we mentioned, if you went to a public school in this time, you would have no access to computer time like Bill Gates and Paul Allen did. So it's like, okay, how did they get their ten thousand hours programming? They went to a rich fucking school where they get computer time as opposed to any public school that the vast majority of the country goes to. If yeah. you went to a public yeah. school at this time, your experience would be more of um, guys in white t-shirts with cigarettes rolled up on their sleeves, <laughs> pulling a switchblade on you. <laughs> and then you roll down a hill and there's like this big pipe and uh, you realize that there's this clown that's been killing all the kids in your small town. And you and your friends have to have to kill that clown. But adults can't see the clown. Uh, no one believes you, but it's really this ancient creature mm-hmm. from... Um, uh, uh, that's always kind of been in the town. Um, well, you'd be you'd be spending more of your time at like the stick fights on Roosevelt Way, <laughs> and then all the while the Lakeside kids are just getting better and better at basic. Well, mind you, it's not just the fact that they're at this private school; it's also that they broke into these computers and they stole a C cubed administrator password and logged onto the Lakeside. They realized they could fuck with like the grades and the pay scale and everything. And like they they would get in trouble for the stuff, and the Fred Wright, the uh, head of uh, the Lakeside Computer Group, then was like he, he was mad, but at the same time there was no punishments for crimes that had never been committed before. So it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, they are just good at computers. You know what I mean? Yeah. What they essentially did is they they mostly used it just to steal computer time. Like yeah. they, they got administrative because you know as students they would have a limited amount of computer time, right? And so they would just be able they would find out a way to hack it which those computers it's not like hacking was like right right the mate like something neo would do in the matrix it was just like you know you might type in like a slash admin and it's like hey do you want to do the computer for right, free right right and you're like yes and it's like i've been hacked um <laughs> i'm in yeah <laughs> <laughs> One one illustrative thing from Hard Drive about that was essentially like some of the parents, some of the rich parents for Lakeside Private Prep, they had like a fundraiser to raise money for computer time, and they raised about like three grand in, you know, whatever dollars it was. Steven? <laughs> they raised about $3,000. Just and, from selling their stuff? 
And because uh, and, they they're yeah. all rich, and so they just had expensive stuff they just could get, sell. Yeah. Go, going through their couch cushions, yeah, they found like several coins from the night yeah. from the eighteen yeah. seventies. There's stock under there. <laughs> I've been to these. I was in these private schools. There's always random auctions and fundraisers, <laughs> and part of you've always like, where, where where's all this shit coming from? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're like, I'm a child. I should probably get my grades up before I start questioning capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they get you. That's right. Oh, but yeah, so they raised like $3,000 for computer time, and uh, Bill Gates, Paul Allen, and two other students blew through it in like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so then the, the University of Washington, they got a computer and a thing, and they're like, all right, so we need to like test the limits of this and get someone to break it. So they brought in like Bill Gates and Paul Allen to basically break their computers. And so that's base, That's more or less how they got so much computer time is they, the uh, UW just brought them in to kind of run the machines into the ground and so that they could then debug them and fix them. And um, they had essentially unlimited time out the UW teletypes. We're spending 15 minutes on arguing the most innocent crimes that Bill Gates <laughs> and Paul Allen committed. Yo, when they were in high school, they fucking broke into the computer lab, yo. Look, this is 10,000 hours. <laughs> this is part of it. This is how you learn. This is part of it. This is how you get better. Yeah. In, in so, like, a lot of kids had access to the this, this time, but not nearly as much as uh, Bill and Paul did during this era. Hmm. So, um, after after high school he um he gets into harvard which is really difficult if you come from a rich kid private school <laughs> well, two other things before harvard um well actually a couple things just from the book uh his parents get him a brand new mustang in 1970 a 1970 mustang when he turns 16 years old <laughs> so you know even if he didn't have a trust fund he grew up pretty well um he's Apparently a congressional page for a minute because, you know, like we said, his parents met through this uh, future senator. Right, so he right. had, I think he was a congressman at the time and they had connections. So he spent some time as a congressional page. And I believe, I think this is before he went to Harvard. He was a programmer at a government defense contractor, TRW. Um, it must have been before because once he... <laughs> Uh, is this pre-Harvard, you're saying, Sean? I think it's yeah. pre-Harvard, yeah. Bill and Paul worked on a handful of contracts before they, they started working for what became Microsoft in Albuquerque, which we'll talk on in a moment. Yeah. And uh, one of one of the people who went to Lakeside with him said uh, described him as an extremely annoying person. He was very easy to sort of dislike. <laughs> and I think that probably me and a lot of people took a little extra pleasure in sort of bumping him while passing him in the hall and basically giving him a little bit of a hard time. In public school, the guy would have been killed. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember the trans... Because my parents had me at a private Catholic school for like two years. And then it transferred out to to public school. (laughs) I don't know what you're suggesting. Uh, But yeah, no, the transition to public school from private school is rough. And I am actually grateful that I made that transition. Otherwise, I would you, be like Bill Gates. We're not getting any. We're not getting laid anymore. Or <laughs> yeah, I was I was no longer getting violently molested. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, it is just something where, like Andy said, there's so many anecdotes in these fucking books about people being like, "Yeah, Bill Gates is a fucking prick," or was yeah. a prick. Like, there's a story. I think it's in Hard Drive. It was essentially like. Um, some guy in a classroom asked a question that Bill Gates thought was like obvious. So Bill Gates was like mocking him and mm-hmm. acting like he's an idiot. And the guy who uh, the author interviews like, yeah, I went up right up to his face and I grabbed him and I told him to stop being an asshole. And uh, I don't regret <laughs> it at all. <laughs> yeah. Gates, like early in Microsoft, he got a reputation for just saying that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. 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 That's his catchphrase. Yeah. And um, apparently not having a lot of friends also. He also like constantly throws. I mean, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it's it's mellowed out now that he's older. But he was constantly throwing temper tantrums for basically his whole life. Like they describe, like when the government announced they were investigating him, he threw like a huge baby temper tantrum. <laughs> I think that some of the mellowing out is genuinely. I mean, I hate to be this this crass, but liberal propaganda. I think he's always been a dick, and he's still a dick, but the only reason we think he's not is because the media outlets are like, look at how nice this old man is, and yeah, he's giving his money. And- oh, yeah, he goes on, like, talk shows, and is like, I'm Fleece Dad, and I'm... Right, right. I go on Reddit, and I'm trying to stop malaria. There's a great thing where Ellen had him on, and she was asking him how much shit cost, and she's like, how much do you think a banana costs? And he's like... 
nine dollars. <laughs> like he had no concept of what groceries would cost. Uh, oh, he must have been coached he? in that because that's a literal Arrested Development joke. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Do Do you guys think he was bullied too much or too little? <laughs> too little. Because bullies play a really like important role in our society. I feel like that's as a far as moderating these like future monsters. <laughs> it's like a stand-up bit. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, actually, that was a Greg Giraldo bit. It was uh, Bill Gates. You know, how many lockers do you think that guy had to get shoved That's in to right. make $100 billion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that he made, Greg Giraldo made a bullying is good bit about Bill Gates. So, Steven, you're hack. Is what <laughs> but, no, I'm saying there's an optimum level. <laughs> but, oh, 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 yes. Well, are you saying there's some Steven, sort of terminal velocity on bullying? There's a yeah, l- I mean, there's th- like, I mean, eventually you face diminishing returns. <laughs> there's a yeah, laugher. There's a laugher curve for yeah. bullying. I mean, you could vote. You could bully them much less and get the same amount of good. <laughs> Let's not put too much stock in this because Greg Geraldo is dead. <laughs> but yes, the- Stephen Jeffries, not a hack. <laughs> Delete that. Um, but yes, the lesson from Bill Gates is that if you don't get what you want, you should cry and scream and throw a temper tantrum, and then you will be the second richest man on earth. First now. Bezos is worth more than him, isn't he? Not um, after that divorce, Not after son. he put oh, his dick right, in the wrong place. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he regained his title. God yeah. damn, I didn't even realize. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Fuck, the world has changed since we started this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Um... But yeah, so, um, oh, and then one other thing that happens, like, while he's in school, so he has a friend, uh, I just found this r- random thing interesting, he has a friend named Kent Evans, who's one of his closest friends, and, like, him and Paul Allen and Bill Gates are all, like, programming together, right. talking about starting a company, they, like, set up some early company ideas. Kent Evans dies while he's still at Lakeside, he right. dies in, like, a rock climbing accident or something. Yeah, skiing and, or something. Yeah, but it is just kind of, like, a weird story of, like... Yeah, there was one more potential billionaire who just disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah, apparently he was like this precocious kid that kind of gave Bill Gates his weird business sense. Huh. Um, oh, I didn't then, know that. Yeah. Well, Sean, we will cover in the story. There are literally maybe six to 12 different people that along the way Bill Gates smashed. And they were a part of Microsoft and or a part of Bill's original story. And had they not uh, liquidated their shares or something, they would also be billionaires today. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time we said smashed and not as a euphemism for sex. Uh, I meant it for sex. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he fucked them to death. <laughs> Bill Gates set up the skiing accident. <laughs> oh, my playing God. Playing 12-dimensional chess. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, I think him, uh, Gates and Paul Allen named um, uh, some building, maybe an auditorium at the private school after their, their friend who passed away. Um. But yes, yeah, so I guess that brings us up to Harvard. Uh, oh, but but I guess I mentioned they worked at TRW, this government defense contractor, and we mentioned they got essentially infinite computer time by debugging at uh, University of Washington, and so and then they get this programming job. So the point of all this is they have access, they learn how to program, and they are able to do that because unlike public schools, their elite private school gives them the access to computer time, which is very expensive, in order to to learn how to become programmers. And uh, Gates gets accepted to Harvard, and uh, the coal the coal mining program was shut down. <laughs> <laughs> and at Harvard, Gates finds himself uh, really frustrated because he he was used to being like the smartest guy in the room, and it turns out he finds himself really frustrated because he keeps getting the brown tabs of acid <laughs> when he wants the uh, the better stuff. Well, Gates Gates discovered that like being the smartest guy at like a small rich kid school in Seattle isn't the same thing as being the smartest guy at a slightly larger rich kid school in Boston. Mm-hmm. Well, I, actually one of the things that I in I in uh, Paul Allen's book Idea Man uh is that uh basically Paul Allen Bill Gates was like I'm the smartest motherfucker around and Paul Allen who'd been to Wazoo for a year at that point was like, Bill, you're going to get to Harvard. There are going to be more smarter people than you. He's like, nah, I don't believe it. <laughs> and then like the break, the break after Bill Gates was like, my professor got his THD when he was 16. <laughs> and like all of my mathematics are theoretical. And the homework load is 30 hours a, a week. And on top of that, like, I mean, essentially Paul Allen describes in this book that Bill Gates is probably one of the smartest people. But at Harvard, he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, because in Harvard, they're getting people that are the sm- smartest of the smartest from everywhere. 
So, you know, uh, small pitch, big, big pond type of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, uh, I remember in Hard Drive, they talk about, like, he was... I mean, George Bush is there, so what are you going to do? <laughs> right, I mean, right, right. You know, these, are, these are some of the smartest people around. <laughs> hey, hey, Bill, I'm going to need some sort of software to, to keep track of people, <laughs> but, but they can't know about it. <laughs> Could you get started on that, Bill? I got a... Do some cocaine over at Skull and Bones. <laughs> also, I'm at Yale. <laughs> oh, yeah, went he, bus- went to, he went to business school. Yeah, he went to Harvard Business oh, School. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so Bill Gates, like from Harvard, uh, you know, he's like a smart guy, but Hard Drive talks about like he wasn't, he was no longer the best in like his math classes and stuff. Right. You know, like initially he wanted, or he at least considered becoming, you know, a, a PhD in mathematics, you know, math professor and stuff. But he gets into these classes and he's no longer the best. That's you know? too hard. Yeah. So he kind of... That must have been rough for you, Bill Gates. <laughs> Not being able to hack it in the math and science courses. Now when I'm a smart dick, I'm just the dick more than I'm smart. <laughs> just going to say that's a classic thing that coders aren't actually that good at math sometimes. Oh, interesting. Uh, no, it's just it's just, it's just straight logic. It's not like, ten people just unsubscribe from our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just... Stephen talking shit on coders again. <laughs> Stimlords. Well, it's more like stiff. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So his uh, his Harvard days, um, like the book Hard Drive, kind of describes him as like an asocial asshole. Uh, but he spent a lot of time in the computer lab, and he also spent a lot of time playing... In the red light district of Boston? Yes, the combat zone of Boston, <laughs> which was apparently, according to Wikipedia, the name given in the 1960s to the adult entertainment district in downtown Boston. He said he was just there to people watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not lying. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, and that would, uh, uh, start his lifelong affinity for strippers, which will, uh, Oh, is that real? Well, it's an interesting thing. I I guess I'll, I'll give it away now in the overdrive book. They talk about how, um, while he was dating, but before he was married to Melinda French, now Melinda Gates, he would, uh, have strippers come over for, uh, naked pool parties with him and his friends Oh, really? in the Seattle area at his mansions. Um, you I know, better we'll, charge extra for that. <laughs> we'll we'll follow up in more depth on that later. But uh, now he just yeah. hunts them on his island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This Medina compound. He said, "I was people watching. That was back when I considered them people." <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he's uh, back then. You had to make sure you didn't get caught when you killed him. <laughs> And also, like I mentioned, LSD. He's there's this interesting Playboy interview, but he was taking some acid at Harvard. Um, and I, I just want to quote it. People might be familiar, but Playboy asks him, "Ever take LSD?" He says, "My errant youth ended a long time ago." Playboy, what does that mean? That means there were things I did under the age of 25 that I ended up not doing subsequently. <laughs> Playboy says, one LSD story involved you staring at a table and thinking the corner was going to plunge into your eye. Gates smiles. Uh, Playboy, ah, a glimmer of recognition. Gates, that was on the other side of that boundary. God, even his acid stories are boring. (laughs) (laughs) That's all that it, I mean, that's a boring truth. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Very handy. Oh, yeah. Nothing like watching his father give a commencement address. (laughs) <laughs> is, he, is he microdosing when he bought DOS? <laughs> Watching his father give a commencement ad- address and suddenly becoming convinced that you're listening to the voice of God. <laughs> God sucks. <laughs> and that's Nietzsche how, was wrong. God's not dead, but he sucks. That's how Andy became a lifelong atheist. Nietzsche. Yeah. Shh. We're trying to get through Niche. this episode. We actually we didn't make yeah. it. Niche. Didn't make it. No. Great. um okay so uh at harvard while he's at harvard um this company called altair comes out with Mm -hmm. uh what's considered the first personal computer even though uh steve jobs and wozniak tried to claim that the uh, apple one was the first uh personal computer it was this company (laughs) altair where essentially what they had was uh a box with a processor and a bunch of um uh, just electrical components and they wouldn't they would for slightly 
more than um, just like an IBM processor. They would uh, ship you all the components, and then you had to solder it together yourself. Right. And then once you turned it on, you had to flip a bunch of switches for it to start up, and then it didn't really do anything. Yeah. Uh, all it did was it had kind of some flashing lights. And uh, but a lot of people wanted to own one just because owning a computer was kind of the ultimate status symbol. So what Bill Gates and Paul Allen kind of realized was like, oh, well, we know this code basic. Uh, We can adapt it uh, to be used on this Altair personal computer. Mm -hmm. And so they begin working on this and call up the company um, MITS. And uh, saying like, oh, hey, we, we've got this thing we can put on the computer. And eventually MITS was like, um, yeah, sure, whatever, come down. And so then um, they got their code ready, which was basically, you, uh, obviously basic already existed. So it was an adaptation of an already existing coding language. And yeah, in Idea Man, it says that uh, uh, Bill's code was 45%, 30% was Monty's, and 25% was Paul's. So three people created the Altair basic language. Yeah. And, and Monty Davidoff is yes. the other guy. And so Paul Allen flies out to uh, MITS. Uh, he realizes that there's a crucial bit of code at the beginning that they forgot. And so he writes it on the plane and then compiles it by hand, which is the process of turning um, written code into ones and zeros. Right. Uh, and so he gets there. Um, he demos it for the Altair company. And they're like, oh, sick. Uh, and they hire him and start a contract uh, with Microsoft to run their um, basic program Mm -hmm. and what also happens is they start so they start shipping basic with their computer for like some extra money uh, and people get it because it allows them to actually do something with the computer and immediately uh, people start pirating the basic which basically means just copying the um, punch cards right can i back up a bit for a yeah yeah I just wanted to do my impression of uh, bill gates with his friends at the combat zone in boston okay (laughs) Hey, Bill, that chick is wicked naked over there. (laughs) (laughs) That's Bill Gates' boner. Yeah. (laughs) But one other thing I do want to mention in this time period uh, of the writing of BASIC is first we mentioned Monte Davidoff, the third guy. Mm -hmm. He's essentially been written out of the company history, like the way Bill Gates tells the story and Paul Allen used to. Uh, was uh, essentially that the two of them wrote it. But, you know, Monte Davidoff had a very essential role, and he's kind of been written out of the history uh, because, you know, it's it sounds better. Uh, but the, the other point was uh, they wrote this program on Harvard's uh, PDP-10 computer, mm-hmm. and this computer was provided by DARPA. It was, like, literally a United States Army computer that was given to Harvard. Like, they tell this story in hard drive, because there were, like, anti-Vietnam protests at the time, mm-hmm. the Army had to, like, pull up an unmarked truck at, like, 4 a.m. and unload this computer onto the Harvard campus <laughs> so that it wouldn't be, you know, protested and, and all this stuff. But but I guess the point here is, uh, essentially, you know, Bill Gates uh, will... Well, like, we don't want the Noam Chomsky to walk over and mutter at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, is, this is used for like, social control, too. <laughs> And yeah, actually, well, Chomsky speaks very well about how essentially like a lot of defense spending is a subsidy to private industry where uh, because, you know, you can justify any taxpayer spending on, um, you know, defense, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. that, of course, they can just do all this in uh, impossibly expensive R&D that private companies like Microsoft would would never be able to do. But then companies like Microsoft can take and privatize the profits of this public research, which is, again, exactly what happened here, where this is a DARPA computer that they're writing this program on, and uh, that would actually be, you know, we're about to get into some of the pirating of BASIC, but uh, that would be one of the arguments people use is like, hey, you wrote this program on a government-funded computer. Uh, Stop bitching at us about, you know, how much computer time costs or whatever it was. And also, like, BASIC itself was... um, you know, they didn't invent it. It was invented in uh, 1964 at Dartmouth, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which a uh, private university, but it, it's still, it was, there was likely some like, grant funding. That's mm-hmm. different than assembly, right? That's It's uh, telling uh, assembly what to do? Yeah, it's telling assembly what to do. Assembly is one level lower. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So it's as basic as you can almost yeah. get. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, basic is, uh, so the thing with like a coding language like basic is that you can, um, it's it's printed in words that you can, so you can just look at it and read it and the words will make sense. You know, you need some, a little bit of like training to understand what it's saying, but it's not like you're looking at ones and zeros and trying to figure out what's going on there. It's it's yeah. You're not writing in assembly. You're writing in a more of a natural language to mm-hmm. tell assembly what to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So you were talking about they go to New Mexico. Bill Gates and Paul Allen do, and they're working for Altair, is like the first of these personal computers because you know obviously at this time computers are giant things that exist in entire rooms or basements. You know. And then you have this very basic but functional personal computer, and it needs an operating system. So, Not even an operating system. Yes. It just needs to... Well, I guess it would be kind of an operating system. For like the a, time. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not even that. It's not to like... It, it's, you, it, it's almost more fundamental than that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and so you're talking about you know Bill Gates goes down... Or Paul Allen goes down there, and then Bill Gates joins him. And... Um, my understanding from hard drive is they make the argument that essentially Paul Allen did uh, most of the work because Bill Gates like wrote this initial program. But of course, you know, we mentioned Paul Allen having to make these changes on the napkin, but also Bill Gates's program uh, and, you know, Monte Davidoff's, but the program was buggy. So Bill Gates goes back to Harvard, but Paul Allen is still down there in New Mexico working for the company. So he's the one who has to like debug all of Gates's program and make it functional. So it's like, you know, the, the argument is like all three of them worked, but if one person did the most, it was Paul Allen because he had to actually make this thing from an initial idea into a functional product. And then right. when they formed Microsoft, uh, it was originally 50-50 between Gates and Allen. That's right. But Dicks. then Gates said, uh, I'm gonna, let's do it 60-40 where I have 60 and you have 40 because you're still employed at MITS. <laughs> Well, and I think it was like there. He, Bill Gates was like, "Well, I wrote some more code for this, so let's make it sixty forty for right now." And then later on, Paul Allen did more work and was like, "Hey, let's renegotiate the thing." And Bill Gates just went, "Never bring this shit up to me ever again." What a nice guy. Um, the thing about Idea Man that I really like though is that literally Paul Allen thought he wouldn't finish it before he would die, so it's like ruthlessly honest about a lot of things that happened. <laughs> but then if you look at the interviews from the book tour Paul Allen did, because. I don't know why the fuck he thinks he needs a book tour, but clearly that's a publisher's uh, decision. Every question about Bill Gates not liking stuff in the book. Paul, I think it's his. Dis- I think he has enough money to when the publisher says you should do a book tour, he can say no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like you can see on Paul Allen's face, he's like, I didn't think I was going to have to answer any of these fucking questions. Yeah. So I guess these are the answers <laughs> I'm going to give you. Like it's hilarious. Bill Gates was like, uh, yeah, let's let's split it 60-40 because I'm going to have more time to enjoy the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does come up later, yeah. Um, but, oh, and then so, you know, so Bill Gates is back at Harvard. Uh, he drops out after his sophomore year. Paul Allen's down there uh, working in New Mexico on this Altair computer. He's like lead on the software side, you know, fixing all of Gates and Davidoff's code. Um, but then you were mentioning the pirating thing, which I found pretty interesting. Yeah, so people start um, pirating basic, which, again, just means copying punch cards. So they started implementing this policy where they would send out... When people bought the computer, then MITS would have to send out a form that they would have to sign promising not to pirate the right. software. Right. And then they would have to send it back. And keep in mind, this is like Bill Gates and Paul Allen who... Uh, cut their teeth coding by stealing computer time. Yeah. Right. Suddenly they care a lot about piracy. Well, so I have I have a nice little quote. Like first off, um, the, these after the Altair uh, PC comes out, these little hobbyist clubs spring out, yep. and that's mm-hmm. where you know Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak meet each other is in one of these homebrew clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the story is essentially like. Uh, they uh, they couldn't get basic or, you know, it was being overcharged or, or whatever the case may be. So um, these Altair computers, the company would do these road shows where they would, you know, bring a, a computer to, um, uh, to demonstrate, you know, what it can do. But it'll be like more functional than the one they'll actually send you if you order it. So one of these hobbyist clubs, um, they actually go to this, and then they like find well, the, and it. W- what's brilliant too is like you have to put it together. So if it doesn't work, they yeah. can just blame you. Yes, 
Yeah, so uh, one of the computers they demonstrate has the functioning basic on it, and like nobody's been able to get this. So mm-hmm. one of the hobbyists essentially goes to it and just copies down the basic code from the, the <laughs> what is it, the papers or the tape or however. Oh, or, yeah, or, yeah. Because it's like, you know, pre, um, however they do coding now, I don't know. Wow. Um, but so, yeah, they copy down the basic code from the uh, the tape register, mm-hmm. and then they start passing it around these hobbyist clubs. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, like spreads like, you know, a virus through all these hobbyist clubs. And then Bill Gates gets uh, very pissed about this, <laughs> and he writes this very petulant letter to uh, the pirates in uh, 1976. Um, which, which I just, uh, want to read a couple excerpts from and it is, it's kind of funny because it also shows his like future attitude towards piracy, but also the entitlement. And, um, I would say for listening to this letter, just pretend it is true that he has a $1 million trust fund. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so Bill Gates writes uh, in the Altair, uh, newsletter computer notes, he writes an open letter to hobbyists. And uh, he says, almost. <laughs> uh, Bill Gates says, almost a year ago, Paul Allen and myself, expecting the hobby market to expand, hired Monty Davidoff. And uh, just on that point, uh, you guys cut him out of the founding stock <laughs> and just said he was a hire. Uh, we hired Monty Davidoff and developed Altair Basic. Though the initial work took only two months, the three of us have spent most of the last year documenting, improving, and adding features to BASIC. Now we have 4K, 8K, extended ROM, and disk BASIC. The value of computer time we have used exceeds $40,000. Wow. (laughs) As people point out in response to this, uh, you did it on a DARPA-funded computer and didn't have to pay for this computer time. Right. So uh, Gates noted that while feedback from enthusiasts was strong, uh, quote, most of these, he says, quote, users, <laughs> unquote, never bought basic. Less than 10% of all Altair owners have bought basic. And two, the amount of royalties we have received from sales to hobbyists makes the time spent on Altair basic worth less than $2 an hour. And then uh, it's from the book Hard Drive. He then accused... Oh, no. <laughs> he then accused... Yeah. $2 an hour. Can you imagine any contractor working for Microsoft <laughs> making a sum equivalent oh, no. to that? Aww. Uh, from Hard Drive. He then accused hobbyists of stealing software programs. Is this... Uh, Gates now. Is this fair? One thing you don't do by stealing software is get back at MITS for some problem you may have had. MITS doesn't make money selling software. The royalty p- royalties paid to us, the manual, the tape, and the overhead make it br- a break-even operation. One thing you can do is prevent good software from being written. Who can afford to do professional work for nothing? People with a million dollar trust funds, maybe. (laughs) Uh, The fact is, no one besides us has invested a lot of money in hobby software, but there is very little incentive to make this software available to hobbyists. Um, He then went on to add that those who resell basic software give hobbyists a bad name and should be kicked out of any club meeting they show up at. (laughs) And then uh, he he closes this out by saying, I would appreciate letters from anyone who wants to pay up or has a suggestion or comment. Nothing would please me more than being able to hire 10 programmers and deluge the hobby market with good software. And so basically he's uh, demanding that people who have stolen the software start sending him checks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, and then from hard drive only. And remember, he didn't invent basic. <laughs> right. He adapted it. This is like complaining that they're playing your cover song on the radio. <laughs> You're just and sampling and royalties. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, they're sampling yeah, your cover sampling. song. Right, right, right. Sampling. And from hard drive, only a handful of people who possessed pirated copies of basic sent Gates money as he had asked them to do in his letter. <laughs> And uh, they also make the... What fucking losers. <laughs> I know. Some of them are like, you know what? He's right. Yeah. <laughs> They're just ready for a life of licking the boot. <laughs> but uh, kneelers. Yeah, and and one other thing, uh, uh, from hard drive. Others argued the altruistic position that ba- others argued the altruistic position that basic belonged in the public domain. An argument that had some merit, since Gates and Allen had created basic using the PDP at Harvard, a computer funded by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. But, again, totally ridiculous to suggest that uh, government-subsidized research should be uh, in the public domain. 
Um, and this brings us up to the uh, the seventies. He writes this letter in seventy six, and uh, and I guess it should be noted. Mike, well, an important point here is Microsoft, the company, is founded in nineteen seventy five, and they're originally a contractor for uh, MITS, who makes these Altair uh, computers in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah. Yes, so they're working in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, um, and, you know, this is important because uh, Bill Gates and Paul Allen, you know, I mean, they're smart enough to recognize that software is kind of the future. So they uh, they don't really give up the rights to their code or, or anything like that. Um, I think they, they do sign a contract with MITS, which, which says something about um, the contract is, is null and void if uh, MITS doesn't adequately promote their operating yeah. system. And this will become relevant later. Right. You know. But so essentially, Bill Gates is careful enough to keep the rights to his basic software um, at this period in the 70s. And in the beginning stages of Microsoft, Bill essentially works people to the bone. Are we at this point now, you think? Uh, well, they have like, what, three employees now in the 70s? Yeah, three to four people at this point. So there's a story in Idea Man, and he talks about uh, this guy... Uh, Bob, Bob Greenberg once put in 81 hours in four days, Monday through Thursday, to finish part of the Texas Instruments Basics. When Bill touched base toward the end of Bob's marathon, he asked him, well, what are you working on tomorrow? <laughs> Bob said, I was planning to take the day off. And Bill said, why would you want to do that? He genuinely couldn't understand it. He never seemed to need to recharge. I mean, like, there's stories of Bill Gates, like... Just... Wait, I got another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so... At at one point, they um, started offering. Uh, let's see, employees got two weeks of vacation. Their starting salary was around twenty thousand. This was also uh, in the late seventies, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they could take off um, any religious holiday of significance at first, uh, but then it was informally rescinded after one employee actually took it. <laughs> <laughs> And then what are you uh, doing? <laughs> Bill Gates wrote in this memo, Microsoft expects a level of dedication from uh, its employers higher than most companies. Wow. Therefore, if some deadline or discussion or interesting piece of work causes you to work extra time some week, it just goes with the job. Any employees who want to maybe send me money for the time that they have pirated from me. <laughs> it's it's just like this is, and I'm sure like plenty of people who are listening to this have gotten like a, douche, a douchey like CEO message sure, that sure. reads just like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's just the perfect like shitty boss uh, yeah, thing. But- and then he like he he would um, be like, oh, I only have a salary of sixteen thousand, where you guys all make twenty thousand. But like this whole thing of where it's which like, by, he which ex- by the way is like, like seventy five to eighty thousand. Yeah, yeah. I, I love I love just pretending people are too stupid to understand how equity works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like you need to spend all your time working on this product that, in the end, really just benefits my bottom line. <laughs> like maybe it'll look good on your resume one day, but hey, look, just because I have a net worth of a hundred billion dollars doesn't mean <laughs> I collect a salary here. <laughs> they pay me one dollar, and I work harder than you, and we're paying you $40,000. Are you 40,000 times better of an employee than I am? No, you're not. Um, but yeah, so, and, you know, so this kind of brings us through the 70s, but I, I think we, we might want to have a stopping point here. Um, because uh, we, we want to divide this up. <laughs> um, but so, you know, in the, uh, the 70s, they're working on this, this Altair. They found, uh, they found at the company Microsoft, but it is really the connection with IBM um, that makes Bill Gates, Paul Allen billionaires. Right. And we'll get into that, how uh, uh, Bill Gates' mother's connection with the uh, IBM chairman uh, gives hit, uh, makes... IBM seek out Bill Gates. IBM at this time is, of course, the dominant computer company in the United States and <laughs> formerly in Germany, too. <laughs> um, but I guess so um, next week, uh, or n- not next week, on the following episode, we will we will continue the story with, with Bill Gates. And where, where can they find this, this episode? Oh, yes. This will be our first paywalled episode hey so. all right huh? <laughs> you've been yeah. asking for it now we're giving it to yeah, you yeah that's that's right we we know how to plug we, we want to quit our day jobs <laughs> no and, one asked we listened yeah <laughs> 
behind the paywall, uh, all sorts of libelous dirt. Uh, we will be slandering other leftist podcasters. Uh, we will be using the words you're not allowed to use anymore. Uh, anything we can to make a buck and quit our jobs. That uh, bombshell I was talking about earlier yeah. will be on maybe in the next episode. We'll see. But I'll give you a clue right now. Illegal revenge porn this, behind the Patreon. <laughs> the bombshell is actual dirt about Bill Gates, and it's related mm. to his hair. Find out oh. more behind our Patreon wall, ladies and gentlemen. God, we could do morning radio. After this commercial break, <laughs> that's next. And with that, this has been Yogi. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. Wait, I did want to mention Bill Gates... Uh, Real genetic descendant of a grub staker, though. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, yeah. First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. All right, I'll see you next episode. Oh, Tide Pods. You've been hearing a lot about oh, those lately. What do you think? Four dollars. Wow. <laughs> no, no. They want, they want me to go higher. Yeah. Let's go with ten. Ten. Ten dollars. All right. $19.97. Wow. It's expensive to do laundry. To never sober from broke to having broke as my price range is over. Now I'm knocking like a whole You're the one who charged his own brother for a Bluth frozen banana. I mean, it's one banana, Michael. What could it cost? $10? What could it cost? $10?